And so there's only two righteous types of righteousness, his and our attempt. And I say it like that because when we talk about self-righteousness, I still feel like even when we say self-righteousness, there's almost like a mindset attached to that, like somehow we could maybe do that. But that's why I like to say attempt, because it's like it's our try, but we never get there. Um, and I, I've been just sitting in this place this week with the Lord, um, just grateful for His mercy um, and thinking about mercy and grace and how mercy is really tied to consequences and grace is really tied to empowerment and enablement and how the mercy of God, I don't know if you understand this, but He delights in mercy. Now, if you think about that word delight, He takes delight, He takes joy, He takes pride in being merciful. So there is nothing in God's heart that wants to see you pay the consequences of your wrongdoings. <laughs> I'm just I'm being real, right? And you go, hold on, you know, there's probably scriptures running through your head. We're going to go there. And you think, well, what about the law and what about all these things? Well, here's, here's the deal. God's heart was never for you to achieve holiness and righteousness. You weren't even, by the way, just so you know, you weren't even designed to do that. You weren't designed to make yourself holy. You were designed to live from the tree of life, receiving the all-sufficiency of Jesus, His righteousness, His purity, His nature. And if you live in that place, you'll rule and reign. Do you think Adam and Eve needed to take vacations in Eden? Uh, this is, I'm just letting you into my world, man. This was me and the Lord last night. I'm like, Lord, I need a holiday. You know, I'm like, before, before the Lord, like, you know, anywhere, Mauritius, it'll be awesome, Lord, just... And, and he began to speak to me about this. And I was thinking, I'm like, man, here's Adam and Eve. This is not even God's master plan. This is just an introduction to his heart, the garden. They're eating from the tree of life. They don't need a holiday. What about their bodies? Didn't their bodies get tired? Maybe the gospel is so profound and so powerful that when you live in the all-sufficiency of Jesus, you actually receive perfect health and wholeness. And maybe there's actually a place in God where you can live there, where burnout is non-existent just burn up so this is where i'm going guys are you ready <laughs> some of you are like man i really want a holiday you can have a holiday i promise this is not a preach against holidays this is us saying jesus we want to we want to walk in everything you paid for so before we get into this we have four baptisms today really pumped analdi dill dave and chad right yes come on so pumped um I, uh, last week I gave a, a reprimand to the church. I said, can we please stop getting into this trend of everybody getting saved in winter? <clears throat> because for the last three years, we have like mass baptisms over the winter months. And that's really, I'm so happy for you guys. It's just that I also have to get into the water. So, <laughs> But today someone brought me a wetsuit, so that's going to help. Anyway, yeah, it's exciting. Do you know, honestly, when I, we met yesterday, we were just chatting through some of the baptism stuff and even just talking about it, I get really excited, man. Um, not, I mean, the baptism kind of thing is cool of going under the water in the public declaration of what's happened in your heart. But for me, and I, maybe I should just say this before I get into what I'm going to say. If it wasn't for the, the purity of the gospel and the full message of grace, I'm done. I, I was, I was on, a, on a road to destruction. Um, I was self-imploding, right? And, and I think about this and I go, the, the best news I ever heard was that I was going to die and Jesus was going to live. And I had honestly got to a place where that was the greatest news because I was like, Lord, I am actually done. It's your turn. You, you, you take over. You do what only you can do. And the journey after that is glorious because really it's just discovering who he is in you and how he wants to express his nature through you. But I find sometimes people hear that and, and it's like, I've always struggled with this, but maybe it's because of my own journey, but I've struggled with this when it's difficult for us to accept death. Where it's like, I'm sick and tired of the church talking about this death thing, you know, everybody must die to themselves and like, sheesh man, you know, way to ruin the party kind of thing. And it's not, it's, this is the thing for me is I'm like, I think if we are not embracing of, of our need to die to ourselves, then we really think highly of ourselves in a way that's just so false and pseudo. Um, if we were really to, to look, and this is not God's heart, but if you were really to analyze yourself, I guarantee you it just takes about five minutes and suddenly you're really depressed and 
because uh, if, if you were to really look inward and see the junk that goes on inside of you without Jesus, um, very quickly you get to a place where you go, no, nah, I, I like this gospel thing. Actually dying to myself and coming alive in Jesus, that's, that's where it's at. That's where we want to be. And uh, what's amazing is that, uh, in fact, let's start there. Uh, Romans 15, there's a scripture that just jumped in my heart earlier. And I think this is what the Lord's going to do today. It's Romans 15, 13. Some of you might know it. It says this. Now may the God of hope, everybody say hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thought about this in my own life. I thought, you know, the hope that came when it was no longer I that live, but Christ who now lives in me. I remember I was 21 years old, got baptized again, because I didn't know what the heck I was doing at 11. Got baptized again, 21 years old. I go under the water, and I remember the buildup in my heart, because I, I, I knew what the last five, six years was like for me. I knew what I'd been through. I knew the failures. I knew the mistakes. I knew what I'd carried. I knew the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation. And suddenly you get to this moment where you're saying yes to the finished work of Jesus, where you're going to, by faith, die with Him. In other words, you're going into that water and you're not coming out the same. And then you, get, you go into the water, you get baptized. As you come under, you're coming up. And I remember as I came out the water, I felt the tangible pleasure of God. And the reason why was because I, I made sure, and I had beautiful parents who'd helped me with this, but I made sure that I understood that the gospel is that you have a father who paid a price for you, not just because you're a sinner. In other words, I need you to understand this today. Jesus didn't die just because you're a sinner. If we, if we measure ourselves, we've heard this statement our whole lives, Jesus died for sinners. If we measure ourselves by sinner, it's such a low standard of the value that God holds for you. It makes no sense. If you're just a bunch of sinners, why pay that price? If, if, if you're selling, if there's a second-hand car for sale and it's worth 50,000 rand, you're not coming in and saying, hey, I'll give you 150,000 for that. Nobody does that. Nobody comes in and goes, oh, the price tag is 50,000 for this old little car. Oh, here's 150. No, you pay what it's worth. So do you see, like when you start to think like this, suddenly you realize, do you understand how valuable you are to the Father? That He, he said that you were worth Himself dying. Something that was rocking me, I was processing this last night. Think about this. Jesus, who's God, part of the Trinity, Son of God, decides he's going to become an embryo in a woman's womb. Jesus, Revelations 1, burning eyes, radiant, shining one, glorious one, has a conversation with Father and Holy Spirit and says, yeah, I'll go. You can put me in her. And there's a reason why he's doing this. He wants a bride. So, and, and, and he has to do it as a man. So this is, this is what was going through my head. I'm going, Lord, you put yourself in man to be man. Jesus spent nine months in a woman's womb. He was born, spent 30 years just growing up and just being the embodiment of humanity. That's what he did. 30 years, he just became the embodiment of humanity, and he did it perfectly. And then for three years... He became a prototype for every single one of us of what we were called to so that we would know what, he, what he's birthed in us. And then he becomes the perfect sacrifice and takes everything that could possibly hinder you or stop you from love, anything that could possibly be an obstacle between you and the Father, he takes it once and for all. It's why I have a problem with teachings around, hey, you know, go and ask for forgiveness for your sins. Where? Show me. Please show me. No, thank him. Thank Him for forgiveness. When, you, when, you, when stuff happens, and you, if, if you sin, John says if, not when. If you sin, you have an advocate who stands for you before the Father. But you thank Him for the forgiveness that He already paid. To ask Him to forgive you again is an insult to what He's already done. And so now I'm getting this revelation last night. I'm going, Lord, you became a man, and you did everything as a man because you wanted me. So Jesus didn't die for sinners. He died for lost sons. Sin was never the point, it was never the emphasis of God's heart. Never. But it became the emphasis in the church. Are you with me? It rocks me. I'm going, man, Lord, how we have missed your heart where the church wants to represent God. And so what we do is come down hard on people who make mistakes. And then use this guilt, shame, and condemnation thing to control and manipulate people. You want to grow a church quick? 
Let me put the law on you. Something weird about people who just love to be told how bad they are. They'll flock. And then if you really want to, if I want to impress you, and I want to get thousands and thousands of people to know who I am and come to my events, I'm going to do an altar call every time where I want you to come confess your sin. All of you will do it. Because there's something inside of you that knows that you're not up to scratch. And so if I push that button and manipulate that thing, I can get you to confess your sin again and again and again. And what it'll look like is holy, beautiful, crazy ministry moments, but you're not seeing a church transformed and looking like Jesus. Am I, this is why, am I for stadium events and massive gatherings? Yes, so for it. But let's just make sure we're preaching the grace of God. And I, I say this because I feel something stirring in my heart where it's not okay it's not okay for a church or the church to go on a journey of trying to do more in order to be prepared for his return. But in the doing more, you've come away from actually being who he's coming back for. That's what matters. Are you with me? The doing and the expressions of the church have to come from a place of who we are in him. And I was just reminded this week coming back to that saying, wow, Lord, if I'm not starting where you finished, I'm not building what you're building. Do you get what I'm saying? If I don't start where Jesus finished, then I'm putting my hands to something that he's already finished and done. When I start where he finished, I can walk in his authority, in his power, in his purity, in his perfection. Does this make sense? So turn with me to Colossians. I'm all over the place, but just stick with me. We'll, we'll find it. So Jesus, when he took our place, he conquered sin, but he didn't just die, he was raised. We were raised with him by faith, right? And, and uh, Romans 6 says that we were actually raised into newness of life. Uh, the Amplified says habitually, meaning like all the time, daily. It's this, this habit of newness. That's what we were raised into. So we were raised into newness of life with Jesus. And then the, here's the beautiful thing about him. He didn't just make sure that you could start from scratch. Jesus didn't just save you and say, okay, everything you've done up to this point, we covered that, that's all good, now start again and let's see how you do. So many Christians are living that way. It's why the first time a Christian makes a mistake, the guilt, shame, and condemnation is back. But Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. So what do you do if you make a mistake? See, what we're doing now is doing altar calls for confession and getting people to make sure they rub their mess on everybody else. And then we call it freedom. I'm just, I'm saying this because I'm like, I, my heart's stirring. I realize how the Lord really, he wants to take the emphasis off of our sin. Confess your sins. What is he talking about? Well, when you study that, he's talking about your unbelief. William Branham said something so profound. He said, what we call sin is just the fruit of the one sin. He said, he said what, we, what we would name sin, whatever, you wanna, whatever jumps into your head, if you think sin, it's the fruit of one sin, unbelief. It's why in Romans 15, he said that there'd be joy and hope in believing, or joy and peace in believing. It's what you believe. So unbelief, when you don't believe who you, if you don't, if you don't believe that you are who he says you are, and you walk in unbelief, there's a certain type of fruit that flows from your life. And then we call that sin, and then we put the emphasis on that. And so now what the church is doing is behavior modification, rather than heart transformation. See, I'm just realizing more and more, it's like when I feel like when I'm tired, if I'm, if I'm, I've been in this place tired and you go like, oh, and then you, you see uh, expressions that come from you and you go like, oh, that's not God. You know, that wasn't, that's not the Lord. And, and then you start to like really, you're hard on yourself. I know for myself, you're hard on yourself. Oh, that wasn't, Lord, I'm, oh, shit. Okay, and I need to find some time to rest. I need to find some time to be alone with God. I need to fix this. And on the other side of that conversation is a God who's just waiting for you to start receiving again. Where we're so busy, busy trying to prove, no, no, I'm, I'll find my way back to that. God's like, I'm, I'm here. I don't go anywhere. And how do you know you're in faith? What are you thanking Him for? It's funny that when you start to move into self-righteousness, there's not a lot of thankfulness. <laughs> there's not a lot of thank you, Jesus, for. It's just mostly, I'm trying to figure this out, I'm doing it, or, or trying to prove yourself or defend yourself. But when you're in faith, suddenly it's like, even if my body's tired or I'm, you know, my mind is tired, Lord, thank you that in you I have everything that I need. 
Thank you that I'm covered and clothed by you. Thank you, God, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, I, I might not feel that, but it's a good thing I'm not led by feelings. That's, that's probably the, the biggest problem uh, in, in our lives is, is being led by how we feel today. And it's not in God's heart. So let's read a couple of scriptures. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, could, you should just read the whole book, actually. Um, where, should we, where should we start? Verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. I don't know if you heard that. For all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you. It's my favorite scripture. To present you, this is what he's doing right now before the Father, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. <laughs> That's what you've got to tell yourself every morning. I wake up, thank you, God, mercy woke me up. And then right now, in this moment, Jesus, you're standing before the Father and you're saying, Father, he's holy, he's blameless, and he's above reproach. And when the Father looks at you, he sees himself. Do you see what I mean when we start where Jesus finished? I don't know about you, but it's impossible to go back to the pigs when you live there. It's impossible to go back to a lifestyle of sin and struggle. This is why when people hit the whole hyper grace thing, it really drives me crazy because grace is hyper. Don't call, don't call uh, pseudo, the pseudo gospel or false gospel grace. When people take grace without transformation is perversion, right? So let's not call it grace. Let's just call it what it is, perversion. But gr the grace of God, it's hyper, it's wild, it's radical, it's outrageous. It's so good that every time you hear it, it should make your heart want to explode. It's like you wake up and you go, the God who created heaven and earth paid the price to look at me and see himself. See, here's what I don't understand. When people fight this, this message, I go, well, what do you want Jesus to do? Let's, let's, let's follow the train of thought through. If, if we still have to, if he, didn't, if he missed a few sins... He paid the price, but he missed a few. I've actually got to come and make sure that he's aware of those. Confess them to him. What am I saying? Am I say, do I want him to, oh, sorry, Jesus, actually, you missed a few. Do you mind getting back up and just doing it again? Do you, do you just follow the train of thought. So, so obviously, when it talks about confessing your sin, what is he talking about? Unbelief. It's for unbelievers. Confess your sin to one another. Unbelief. And even in the church, I promise you, there's people sitting in the church walking in unbelief. So to confess that means to come to the realization of, hold on, the reason why I'm seeing certain things in my life is because I don't believe who God says that I actually am. So now, this is what's beautiful with discipleship. True discipleship is accountable to the destiny of God in your life, not to your sin. Are you with me? We cripple one another when we hold each other accountable to our sin. Let's have a discipleship group or an accountability group, and we sit there and tell each other how many times we messed up this week. And you wonder why every week it's the same conversation. But then we call it discipleship. And then three, four, five years later, you're still in the same place you were and you've never stepped into freedom, but hey, at least you tell people about your mess. Are you with me? And there's, there's two groups of people, I can see it in the room, two groups of people. One group that, that maybe have lived in that place of legalism, right, where you're just legalistic, you're hard on yourself, you struggle with these things. Then on the other side, you've got people who have heard the message of grace and what they did was chose to just completely turn a blind eye on anything that God doesn't like. And, uh, and because it's all just good. And so now when we talk about these things, it's like, oh, why are, you, why are you wasting time on that? Let's just do. 
No, the reality is the purity of the gospel, the purity of grace makes you like him. What we want to see is a church that looks like Jesus, thinks like Jesus, feels like Jesus. They're not a group of people who just do nothing. But they're also not a group of people who are self-righteous and trying to do it themselves. They're a group of people who are following after the only one who's righteous, the only one who's pure. So it says, he presents you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. If indeed, listen to this, if indeed you continue in the faith. If you continue believing, you stay in that place. He didn't say, if you continue to follow the law. If you continue to get it right. If you continue. To, no, he didn't say that. He said, if you continue in the faith. The whole point of the gospel is faith. You believed by faith that you died with him. You didn't actually die. Thank God. And by faith, you were raised to new life with him. So if you continue in the faith, you stay in his righteousness. You stay in holiness. Grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Which was preached to every creature under heaven of which our Paul became a minister. Jump quickly to... For the sake of time. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, listen to this, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Putting off. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, all, once for all, never again do you have to go back to these things. You thank him for this forgiveness. His forgiveness is not a temporary thing. It's not momentary. It's a done deal, once and for all. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I hope you're hearing me. This is my favorite part. Having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it there's a confidence that God wants believers to walk in when we're walking in the purity of his grace that he actually not only did he save you and and, and give you mercy and grace but he also made a public spectacle of every demon in hell <laughs> He also conquered. He showed every principality, every demonic stronghold. There is no possible way they can touch sons and daughters of God. It's why, like, the whole, when it comes to deliverance ministry, it's like, man, truth. Just, if you're going to cast the demon out, cast the thing out, and then make sure that truth is put inside. Because the reality is what we're doing is so much ministry, 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 not enough truth, truth, truth. So now you've got people back and forth all the time constantly needing ministry, constantly. I think the church needs probably right now a little less ministry, a little more truth, a little more believing, a little more taking a hold of what God says about you and walking in that. Waking up every day and choosing this. If you jump to uh, uh, chapter 3, you'll know this one. We, we've preached this one a lot. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth, for you died. <laughs> we should just read our Bibles, eh? It's quite clear. For you died. Not you were upgraded, not you were made slightly better. You died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I believe that's talking of two things. One, yes, the second coming of Jesus, but I believe it's talking about right now as well. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also appear with him in glory this time. And then this is where it becomes real. Therefore, put to death. Say put to death. <laughs> are you getting the language? Put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he, he gives a list. Fornication or sexual immorality. Uncleanness. Passion. Passion, by the way, that's lust. Evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. He said, put it to death. 
And this is what I've been processing. How do you do that? Well, the language, which we'll see now, put off, put on. I think a lot of the church can get to a place of trying to put something off, but you can keep putting something off, putting something off, putting something off. If you never put something on, eventually you get tired and weary in that place because all you're doing is trying to put something off. So he says, put off all the stuff, put off all the junk, put off the old nature, put off the sin nature, put it off. Thank you, God, that it's not who I am. So you put it off. Thank you, Lord, that that's not who I am, that I died with Christ and I'm raised to new life. And now, what am I going to put on? Lord, I put on the nature of Jesus. Thank you that this is who you say that I am. This is faith language. So listen to what it says. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. That means those who continue in disobedience or in unbelief in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off, listen to this, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, this is my favorite, come on, have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Listen to that again. And have... And put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, I don't know how to say this, scathian, scathian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So here's the thing. God's design for you is to live from the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Can I just say it like this? You can't even be obedient until you receive his obedience. Because <laughs> you're dead. Dead guys can't be obedient unless they're made alive, resurrected by Jesus, right? So resurrection life in Jesus looks like following him because he enables you to. The all-sufficiency of Jesus is actually, Lord, it's only when I'm, when I'm receiving from you that I'm able to be a good husband. It's only when I'm receiving from you that I'm able to lead my family or do the job that you've given me or uh, lead people to Jesus, disciple people, love people. Do you know that you can't even love God without first receiving his love? I think it's Mike Bickle who says it takes God to love God. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is how good God is. Sometimes we go like, but Lord, surely I have to bring something to the table. He says, yes, death. That's what he's asking for. He's like, ah, there's nothing else that I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to give me everything. You know what? I, I, we were praying in the, the pre-service prayer time, and just uh, Nathan had such a beautiful prayer. He was just releasing this fragrance, man, um, of just loving the Lord. And I heard the Lord just say, a broken spirit or broken heart, a contrite heart, I will not deny. This is the Father. He's just saying, just come. Where it gets messy in the church is when we think brokenness is an identity. And then nobody ever moves on from brokenness. That's the problem. That's not the gospel. But being in a place of brokenness, God's not intimidated by that. Being in a place where you just need Him, God loves that. Just come. But I promise you, when you come to Him, what He does in your heart, what He does in your life, the work of the Holy Spirit in you and through you, you'll never be broken again. You'll never stay in brokenness. The only time we go back to brokenness is when we're doing it ourselves. It's the two trees, my dad's favorite topic. The tree of life, the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your attempt to be holy. That's so simple. And the thing is, every day you, you've got a choice which ones you're going to eat from. See, this isn't, I want to say this, this isn't making light of sin. Like, sin, sin's horrible, man. Uh, what I don't understand is, and I'm just trying to answer some of the questions that might start to stir in, in your minds. How is this being light of sin by emphasizing the magnitude of the price that Jesus paid? How is that being light on sin? No, if you, if you preach this kind of gospel, it enables people to sin. Well, only if they're not looking at the cross. Did you hear what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense to me when we say this, like, no, hyper grace stuff, it's light on sin. No, it's not light on sin. You're heavy on something that Jesus took the price for. You're asking us to pay a price that Jesus already did. If I can be so brave and so bold as to say it's an insult to him. But when we look at the cross and we see that actually he's not hanging on that cross anymore. When we look at that cross and we see, whoa, he died, he was raised, and he took me with him 
And now there's been this beautiful exchange where he's given me his life. It says that the new man that I put on, it is renewed in his image. It is. So when I renew my mind, I'm speaking to my soul and I'm saying, come into alignment and agreement with who I am. I'm telling you how to think. I think a lot of us let this thing lead us. And the reality is your little tiny pip of a brain wasn't created to lead you. It was created to facilitate the dream of God that's placed inside of you. That's intelligence and education. Learning how to bring to life what God's put inside of your heart, your spirit, man. And the enemy knows this, so what does he do? He hits your thought life hard. But the problem is majority of the church actually thinks that we can't win this. And so that's why, like I was thinking about it this morning, I'm like, there's coming a shift, I believe this soon, there's coming a shift where people will no longer come to church to get fixed. Where the services will not be aimed at believers who don't know who they are, who are still coming to try and get fixed because they don't believe who they are. So it's week after week after week based on situation, circumstance. And I'm for this. God loves people and we minister to each other. I'm, don't hear, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. But I believe there's coming a time where the church will step into her identity, where she'll know who she is. That's a different kind of meeting. That's a meeting where we get together and now we're one in Christ. We know who we are. We're in the righteousness of God. I haven't come in insecurity. I haven't come in brokenness. I've come in Him. And now because we're here together, we want to arise and shine and make Him known. Then I come to get equipped in the gospel, because I know that my highest call is to love Him, to minister to Him, but to make Him known. These kind of people who are so found in Jesus are not shaped by their ministries, they're not shaped by their businesses, they're not shaped by their relationships, they're not shaped by any of that stuff. They are completely formed and found in Him. They're secure in Him, rooted and grounded in His love, and they're unshakable. What's stirring in my heart is, um, I've, I've, maybe this is just for a few of you, but I, I felt it right there in my heart. How many of you, we're family, right? We're just having conversation. This is good. I, I'm, not trying to, I'm, not, I'm not preaching something at you as if I've got this and you haven't. We're, just, we're talking about the gospel together, right? I'm letting you into my world. This is how I process with the Lord. But I, sometimes I've been in a place, and I feel like there's some of you here today, where you hear the gospel, you hear what I'm saying, and it's like, that's so wild. That's so awesome. I just, I don't know how to get there. Does that make sense? Well, you listen to it and you go like, man, I want that so much. I just, I feel like what you're saying is over there and I'm still over here. Is that, does anyone resonate with that? Like, I've been in that place. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is how he, there's an ease at how he does things, how he brings that, that release and that freedom. And I, I've been learning more and more. Sometimes I'm looking for this moment of like, whoa, this crazy breakthrough. You know, I've, suddenly I was here and now I'm here. And the reality is that that happened. He has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So, so what, sometimes that disconnect that we're feeling is we're looking for a feeling rather than thanking him for truth. So I'm all for feeling the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I actually don't believe you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit without feeling Him. And that's just my opinion. Uh, stick your finger for, from that conference. I think Gabe said, stick your finger in a plug and tell me, you know, that you didn't feel the electricity. Yeah. Uh, no. So, but the manifestations of the Holy Spirit is just because we have fleshly bodies that sometimes can't handle the magnitude of His glory. But it's not the point. Are you with me? The point is who I am. So what would you do what would your life look like if you were aware of your right standing with God 24-7, 365? How would you live? Full, right. How would your, what would your reactions be like when you're hard done by? Is it possible to be hurt and offended in that place? Do you see what I'm saying? Are you ever afraid? So fear never eats your lunch. All that stuff falls away. This is why when I think about this, I go, wow, Lord, I think this is, we should talk about this a little more. It's like I think we, we've preached quite strongly what you're saved from, how Jesus has saved you from all of this stuff. But he saved you into something too. 
And I think we need to really make sure we're clear on that as a church, what we've been saved into. We've been saved into his life, into his likeness. I, uh, I was thinking about this when we were praying. Um, a few people were sharing encounters where the Lord's come and, and they heard knocking. And, uh, and it wasn't in the natural, it was in the spirit. It was three or four of us over the last couple of months, people having encounters in the night where they hear knocking. Do, do, do. And then you wake up thinking somebody's knocking on your door and then you realize it's not, it's the Lord. And, uh, and, and he's knocking. And uh, when they were sharing this, I heard in my heart, I thought maybe I'll title the preach this, Knock, Knock, Grace is at the door. Because it's like the Lord is... The Lord's knocking. It's like sometimes, you know, we, we like gave our lives to Jesus and we're on a journey with him. And then somehow in our stress, it's like we were so busy doing stuff that it was like, yeah, 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 Jesus, just, just hold on. Put him in that room, close the door and try and sort out the mess. And it's like Grace is standing at the door like, knock, knock. <laughs> and I love that because he, he, he's so beautiful in that he, he, he wants a bride. He doesn't want a Jesus robot. So he loves you, and he wants to collaborate with you, and he wants to partner with you. And it blows my mind that Jesus, who knows that he's the only one who can do this, will still wait and take a moment, and, and, and he's watching me, you know, have another go in my own strength. But he loves me, and he's waiting. There's the knock again, you know. I'm here. Grace is at the door. Oh, yeah, sorry, Jesus, sorry. Open the door. It's yours. I'll, I'll do the standing and waiting. You do the work. And when that happens, we begin to live in true intimacy. I'm nearly done, I promise. True, true intimacy. Ah, man. Lord, help me to say this without stirring something. But <laughs> I'm trying. I said I'm going to do a pastoral, loving, encouraging message. Hopefully you're feeling loved. Um, true intimacy. I think it's impossible to be intimate with God if you're not aware of, your right, of the righteousness of, of Christ. If you're not standing in the righteousness of God. You actually can't have intimacy with Him. So there are people in the church, and I've been there myself, in a pattern of what we're calling relationship with God every day. It's a very one-sided relationship, which means it's not a relationship. And, and I'm, I'm concerned because I think we're calling certain things intimacy that are not. It is God's heart for you that you always start with receiving. <laughs> He's not interested in how you think you can impress Him. He's a, he was impressed with you before you did anything. <laughs> Are you with me? Like, your, your effort never set the benchmark of where you stand in God's ranking. He said, son. So, intimacy with the Lord, if it doesn't start in a place of receiving then I, I, I know for myself, it's not intimacy anymore. And what happens is, when we go down that road, that's when the pseudo-spiritual stuff happens. That's when we get weird, and we, we're trying to prove something, and so you, you, there's, there's no substance to what's happening. Sometimes you get people who are trying so hard to be spiritual, but the substance isn't there. That's because the intimacy is missing. I know that feeling. You, it's so easy to get into that place of doing so much for the Lord with zeal and, and passion, and He loves that. He put that inside of you. But it's interesting that a zeal for His house consumes Him. We died, and then He comes alive inside of us. It's His zeal for His house. I'm just being honest with you. That's the only way you stay in ministry, His zeal. <laughs> when it's your zeal, I promise you, it's cool until somebody hurts you, betrays you, and then, so this happens in everyday life. It's like, no, I'll, I'll love you and I'll journey with you and I'm passionate about your destiny or whatever until, wow, that was you, sly dog. <laughs> and then suddenly it's like, oh, now it's hard to, to connect. It's hard to love you. It's hard to serve you. That's our own passion, our own zeal. It, it will always fail. Can I be honest with you? You won't even, you won't, you're not able to love your wife without his love. You can't. You're allowed to nod, husbands, I promise. It's good. <laughs> yeah, she gave me permission, yeah. Think, just think about this for a second. You can't be faithful. You're not faithful without Him. 
maybe let me put it another way. You can't be pure. It's why that, what's that, that thing called? The silver ring thing? What's that? that? Remember that movement? Purity rings. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> Do you remember that? As, I don't know if you guys had that as kids, but the high school thing was like purity rings. Wow, what, that's probably one of the most destructive theologies that came into the church. This thing of like, I'm going to make a promise to myself and God that I'm going to keep myself pure. Wow. The legalism. Because I, I guarantee you, every single one of those people failed. Because, and you go, well, how, do you, how can you say that? I guarantee you, all of them had, had one lustful thought. And Jesus said, if a man even looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery in his heart. See, now you hear that and you go, geez, thanks, Lord. You set the benchmark that high. Nobody passes that, that test. So what's, so what's the point? But this is why, this is why we have to make sure we, we speak and teach grace. What Jesus was doing was not making it harder for you. He was showing you you'll never meet the mark. There's only one who's pure. His name's Jesus. So how do we walk in purity? Receive it by faith. There's nothing in the Christian life that God asks of you to do or become that you don't first receive. Everything in the Christian life starts with receiving so that I can become that. This is how we liberate and see a generation set free. Are you with me? That's where freedom comes from. Freedom is not going to come from you finding a way to get free. Freedom is going to come from you stop trying or stop trying to do that thing in your own strength receive the all-sufficiency of jesus and walk in it the mind of christ you don't cultivate that you receive it does this make sense <clears throat> so what what would intimacy with god look like when it's always in a place of i'm right with god how would I come before him? How would I, what would that time look like? Do you know what I actually think? I think it would look a lot less like me talking. It's an interesting thought. If I'm right with God, what do I, what do I have to say? The things that I have to say will be really what's on our heart together in this relationship. A lot of the time in, in intimacy with the Lord, people will spend so much time just trying to convince themselves you, you have a right to be here. Do you know what I'm saying? Lord, I'm sorry that I raised my voice to my wife yesterday, and I'm sorry about this and that. And, and Lord, that situation's been really stressful, and I need your help with that. And just, I need your wisdom and help you with this because I don't know how to do that deal. And this is what's happening. I'm just spending time with the Lord. Or we get to the place where I don't even know what to say anymore. So spending time with the Lord looks like watching a YouTube sermon or listening to a Bethel set. And I had some time with the Lord. And uh, pick me up a little bit. At least I can get through the day. Oh, come on. You're right with God. And you're not right with God after five minutes of praying in tongues. You're right with God from the moment you opened your eyes. While you were sleeping, you were still right with God. Jesus was still standing before the Father saying, It's my son, that's my daughter. So now think about this. Jesus is coming back for a bride. And she will be made ready. And I think, I'm listening to a lot of teachings and stuff going around, and the bride's got to make herself ready. Yes, amen, I'm on that, that wicket. But... Here's the thing. The bride making herself ready is not because suddenly she decided to hold uh, unending prayer meetings, even though I'm passionate about that. She's ready because she discovers who she is in Him. And she starts to walk in that. She's clothed in Christ or by Christ. Her, the robes have been dipped in the blood of the Lamb. Are you with me? Like this changes things in my heart. I don't know about you, but I get excited about this because I go, that's what I was born for. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand before Jesus and I'm going to look like him. And then I'm going to look to my left and right and you guys are going to be there. And we're all going to look like him. And then we're going to start singing the song of the ages, Worthy is the Lamb. And it's not going to be this boring, repetitive thing. It's going to be the very sound and song that I was born and created to sing. And so now, like, can you imagine, and this is where we are as a community, we're in a place of saying, okay, what does church, what does community, what does fellowship, what does discipleship look like when that's the lens, when that's the perspective? Why do we go to the nations? Why did we say yes to unreached nations? Well, because something happens when you catch God's heart for you and you realize this is how he loves everybody. They just haven't heard it yet. And then God says, I'm actually so in love with you that I want to do this together. I'm going to co-mission you. We're going to co-labor together. You're an heir with Christ. And together, Jesus is saying, 
Let's run into the nations. Let's tell them the good news of the gospel. I want you to be a part of what I'm building and preparing for all of eternity. See, <laughs> this kind of people, everything is His. Because I actually know Him. I love Him. That song we were singing, the second song, Desert Warrior, I just felt it was important to say this because the words, like I was <laughs> singing them and I was like, man, if you don't know where this song comes from, you're probably like, what the heck are we singing about? But it's called Desert Warrior because five, six years ago I had an encounter. And I wrote this song where the church was over and I was about to walk out and the Lord said, come. And I turned around and I walked back to the front and bam, I went into this vision and I'm standing in a desert. And here's, oh man, he's beautiful. Here's this beautiful Jesus. And it was one of the first times I've seen him like that. And he's standing there and he's looking at me. And his eyes, I'll never forget. This is the thing. How, people say, well, how can you just keep doing the same thing, giving your life to this after so many times of hurt or betrayal or whatever? Because I've seen his eyes. It just doesn't matter anymore. It's like, yeah, ouch. Okay, that was a bit sore. And oh, yeah, sometimes people, you know, people are messy. People say, what? Ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. But the reality is God loves people. He loves us. So, so, and, and it's so funny. I was even thinking about this in the context of marriage. You know, uh, I heard this podcast and it drove me crazy about relationships and how, you know, once trust is broken, it's game over. Like you've lost the right to actually be with that person. This is what the world's teaching, guys. Come on. And I'm going like, imagine Jesus treated us like that. Imagine, imagine the bridegroom treated his bride like that. That once, once you break my trust, once you uh, uh, give yourself to another lover, we're done. Imagine that. We're, then there's no hope. Where's hope? There's no hope. So what if covenant is not about you keeping something perfect? What if, what if covenant is a commitment to one another that's unconditional? It's called love. So I have this encounter. I see Jesus standing in the desert. He's looking at me. And uh, we're standing in the desert. It's hot. And the next thing, I, I look at his feet, and his feet sink into the sand. And my feet sink into the sand, and I start to feel rivers flowing under the sand. I feel it on my feet like cold water, fresh, refreshing water. And the next thing, he begins to breathe. And I mean, man, I, thought, I, I wish I could paint this picture properly for you. But he begins to breathe north, south, east, west. And the desert begins to shift. It starts to shake. And the next thing, this desert is changing. And this beautiful garden, this beautiful forest kind of terrain is unfolding around me. And then the next thing, I can't find him. And I'm like, where did he go? I'm standing in this beautiful foresty vibe. Where's Jesus? And suddenly he catches my eye and he's dressed in this warrior attire. And I mean, his eyes were fierce. I looked at his eyes and I was afraid and in love at the same time. That's the best way to explain it. I looked at him and it's like my, I was taken. And then the next thing he takes off and he starts running. And I'm, I'm going like, I want to be with Jesus. I'm just running after Jesus in this vision, right? And I'm thinking, where the heck is he going? Like, hey, you know. And he's running, and the next thing I see ahead of him is this bride, this wandering bride. And I hear the words, you are chasing your beloved. You are gazing on your bride. You are breathing life into these desert lands. And I, something hits my spirit about this desert warrior who's going to awaken his bride in the wilderness. And guess, where, guess what she does? She comes out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. Ah. <sighs> oh. You see, you just have to talk about him like this and you just go, oh, it's like an ache in my heart. Like we could just have a weep session now, right? <laughs> and can I just say this in love? If you don't feel that, do you know him? Why am I saying that? Because I grew up in church. I watched miracles happen in front of me. I watched God use me for miracles. I didn't know him, though. When I went through the most painful, awful, horrific stuff, messy journey, I realized that I'd been in the room where he was. I'd been in the environment where he was operating. I'd even heard the sound of his voice. But I didn't know him. And when I met him, I was thinking about it actually on Friday. I was just reminded in the prayer room about my first encounter with Jesus at a waterfall. And he began to speak to me about purity. And that was the first time I touched him. That was the first time it was like, you're here with me. That's different. And that's God's heart for every single one of us. You know, we've been through painful stuff. As many of you have. 
for we to go around and listen to your stories. Life gets hard. And there's so much that goes on. But I promise you, it's when you know him, when you really know the lover of your soul, those things no longer define you or shape you or dictate to you how you're going to live your life. It's where you begin to come into true freedom. You know, often the question is why... um, why do bad things happen to good people in this world, right? That's a question I get all the time. Well, let me hit this one once and for all. Firstly, who defined you as good? I'm saying, I'm saying that with so much tenderness in my heart, just because it sets us free. It's like, well, why, why do these horrible things happen? Every single one of us have asked that question. What happened to me? I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so-and-so. Well, who, who defines good? Because there's only one who's good. So that's the first thing. Second thing, why does God al- allow bad things to happen on the earth, especially when we're talking about such good news like the gospel of grace? Well, here's the thing. It takes two to make love known. And if you don't get to choose love, it's not love. And in order for, you, for man to have the opportunity to choose love, he has to give you free will. So God knew he was creating two trees, put man in the garden, gave them the ability to choose, and he knew they'd choose the wrong tree. It wasn't a shock. The point is God has this master plan of what he's preparing. That's an eternal plan. It's not a temporary one. We get lost in this temporary world and we think like, you know, that's the end of things. No, it's a blip in comparison to eternity. And God has this dream that he's unfolding. And the dream is you and him for all of eternity in perfection and oneness. So, so when that becomes the lens, it enlarges our life. And here's the thing. Horrible things happen. You endure things. You lose loved ones. You, you go through stuff. We've been there. Every single one of you know what I'm talking about. But it's in the midst of that that I get to know Jesus, that I'm comforted by Him, that I'm, uh, I'm awakened by Him in love. But not only that, I actually magnify Him and exalt Him. And this is the only place, the only time in all of eternity that I will get to in the midst of suffering and hardship and persecution, that I get the privilege of magnifying and glorifying Christ in the midst of pain, in the midst of the the suffering. The biggest problem, I keep saying the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems in the church is that, uh, there's a lot of big problems, is that we have no doctrine of suffering, no understanding of suffering in the church. Because what we've been taught is give your life to Jesus and everything goes okay. No, give your life to Jesus and you'll never be the same. And, and internally who you are in Him, you will have the joy of the Lord, the joy of your salvation, peace that surpasses all understanding. Internally you are the righteousness of God, but the world around you is falling apart. And it's going to get loud and situations and circumstances come. We live in a fallen, sinful world. This is why what needs to grip our hearts is compassion for people because it's like, Lord... I need to know, they need to know, we need to know. So that when we spend all of eternity together, we're a bride for His glory, a body for His name, and a dwelling place for His presence. So I felt that, like maybe some of you, it's been like, oh Lord, taking hits and it's been difficult and there's been that pain. Well, the grace of God liberates you from that pain. It doesn't mean you don't feel it. It means you're able to come through it and glorify Jesus.